Good morning, Chapel Roswell. I'm so glad that each and every one of us is worshiping here together. Now, last Sunday, we kicked off the, the new year. And one thing I want to uh, repent for is the fact that I mistakenly said that not only have we started a new year, we've started a new decade. How many of you have said we've started a new decade? But, but technically, from what I've learned, the decade starts with 2021. There was no year zero. So 2020 is actually the end of the previous decade. So anyone wants to, to argue or, or do whatever, come, come see me afterwards. A couple things, too. Last Sunday, like I said, we celebrated the first Sunday of the new year. And we introduced to you our 21 days of prayer. Now, if you weren't here last Sunday, I, I invite you, maybe encourage, maybe challenge you to take out your cell phone. Each morning, what we'll be doing for 21 days, starting last Sunday, is we'll send you a short text every morning that lists uh, maybe something that is a prayer concern. We're going to pray for something and someone each and every day. So here's the deal, okay? We'll do this, like I said, for 21 days. Uh, you see text chapel to 313131. It is not too late to sign up. I think it will be a blessing for everyone. Now, also last Sunday, we kicked off a three-week series entitled Road Trip. Now, uh, think about maybe a road trip that you've taken, you know, hitting the the open highway, the open road. Uh, Maybe you're excited about the destination that you're uh, driving towards, or or maybe you just like the driving and you like the, the journey and all of the stuff that passes by as you're going on a road trip. And Jesus, he took his disciples on a myriad of road trips. Road trip after road trip after road trip. And this morning we're looking at a road trip that Jesus took his disciples on. They're wandering through a a, a grain field. They're hungry. And, And so what does Jesus do with his disciples? Our scripture this morning takes us to the second chapter of the book of Mark. Here's what it says. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields And as his disciples were walking along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees, those are kind of the religious leaders, they said to Jesus, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, let me give you a little bit of context to what's going on here, okay? During that time, you didn't have a lot of what we would call Roads. You had some pathways that generally were these long, narrow pathways, and, and they would generally go around, or in some cases, through some of the fields, some of the crops. And as passers-by, okay, as people on this road trip, as they would pass through these grain fields, uh, they would reach up and they would pluck, they would take, and they would eat certain grain or certain food. Now, that was okay. Nothing wrong with that. It was common practice in those days to do just that. In fact, Jewish law stated that farmers must allow people to eat from their fields. In fact, we read about that in the book of Deuteronomy, which instructs all of the Israelites to leave some crops, when they harvest their crops, leave some low-hanging fruit on the outside where the roads go so that people can just pluck one as necessary as they're walking through. So Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field. The disciples take some grain, and the Pharisees didn't like that. Uh, Like I said, there's nothing wrong with plucking something from someone else's tree. That was commonplace. That was encouraged. That actually was the legal thing to do. But here's what bothered the Pharisees, the religious leaders, these religious teachers. All of this took place on 
the Sabbath, a day of Jewish rest. In fact, this is the first of seven incidents in which Jesus would just rile up the Pharisees because of something that he's doing on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees turn to Jesus. They demand an answer as to why the disciples were picking grain on the Sabbath. After all, the Pharisees argued the Sabbath is a day on which no one could work. It's a day on which we take rest. And and maybe some of them had this opinion, this legalistic viewpoint, that on the Sabbath you can't pick any grain because, after all, that is work. So how does Jesus respond? Let's pick up the story at verse 25. Jesus answered to the the Pharisees, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? He's taking them back to a story that, that most of them would know. In fact, all of them would know to a certain degree the story about what he is teaching them. Now, in the days of Abithar, the high priest... He entered the house of God and he ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even on the Sabbath. So bear with me as we kind of unpack this ever so briefly, okay? Uh, Jesus is referring to a story that happened several hundred years prior to that. David, who eventually would be king, King David, some of his allies, they, they were on the run. They were being pursued. They were being chased uh, by a guy named Saul, not, not the Saul that we know in the New Testament, but another Saul. He was out to kill David. Okay, so David and his men, they entered the temple trying to find a refuge, trying to to get some help, but also because they were so hungry, they needed food. So the priest, he told David, we don't have any food to give you. I'm sorry, I wish we did, so we really can't help you. But the the priest showed a little bit of hospitality, a a little bit of empathy. This is what he said. Okay, there are 12 loaves of bread on the altar in the temple. We bake the bread every Sabbath morning. And here's what the bread was for. It wasn't to be eaten. Uh, They would take 12 loaves of unleavened bread, and they would put them on the altar. Each loaf of bread, or, or the pita bread, I guess you could say, it represented the 12 tribes of the Israelites. Okay, so the bread wasn't to be eaten until after the the Sabbath, and then the priest could eat it, but nobody else could. Okay, the the bread reminds the Israelites of God's power and God's presence in their lives among God's people. But the priest, he, he had some empathy, like I said. He recognized that David and his men were famished, and he allowed the David and his his, his crew, his posse, basically, to eat the bread. And so why does Jesus speak back to this? Why is Jesus using this as a backstory? Well, the clear teaching by Jesus here is that there are times when human needs are more important than keeping some sort of law or ritual or regulation. What is the Sabbath? Well, it comes out of the creation story. The the Lord created everything in the world, and then the scripture says God rested on the seventh day. And so God blessed his people. He gave the people a Sabbath so that they would be able to rest and to remember the mighty things that God was doing on their behalf. The Sabbath was a gift from God, continues to be a gift from God, a a day of, of blissful rest, a true blessing for God's children. 
But here's where things got derailed over time. In that culture, the rabbis were the most respected people in that time and place. In fact, mamas and daddies, uh, they would go to their knees. They would plead for God to allow their son to be a rabbi. That's what all kids wanted to do. They had this ambition of being a rabbi. They were by far the most respected, most influential people in that culture. But here's what they did. Each rabbi would, would take a scripture and they would publicly proclaim their own implementation of that, their own viewpoint of that, their own translation, their own interpretation of that. And so the rabbis came up with literally hundreds and hundreds of rules listing what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath. For example, one rabbi might say that you can go to the edge or the, the boundary of a nearby town, but, but you can't enter it. Uh, but meanwhile, another rabbi might say, no, on the Sabbath, you can't leave your house at all. Another rabbi might say that on the Sabbath, you, you, you can't wash clothes. Uh, but another rabbi might say, yeah, you can wash some of the clothes, but, but not all of the clothes. And so all of these rabbis had all of these different interpretations, uh, different rules and rituals and regulations as to how God's people are called to live. And so think about this. Imagine in our culture, if every single minister had his or her own interpretation of what a scripture means. Imagine how cumbersome, how, how burdensome it would be to have to remember all of these different things. Having to remember all of those different things would be, like I said, just burdensome. It would create, in fact, in many cases, anxiety because you're trying to think, I don't want to mess this up. I've got to remember what all of these different rabbis said. But because all of these rabbis had all of these different viewpoints, all of these different interpretations, the Sabbath went from being a blissful day of rest from a day of blessing, a gift from God, to now something that was so burdensome to have to keep up with all of these different rules, these strict rituals, these seemingly impossible regulations. So each, each, each rabbi had his own interpretation, his own translation, and here's what they were called. Those myriad of viewpoints, interpretations, translations, they were referred to as the rabbi's yoke. A yoke is a term that you'll find in Scripture in a couple of different ways. A yoke was this big, heavy, wooden device that would go around the necks of oxen, you know, two ox together, and, and allow them to, to plow the fields. It, it was heavy, and it was burdensome. It was, it was a pain, I'm sure, for these ox. Uh, but the word yoke came to represent an individual's translation or interpretation of these strict rules. With that said, let's read the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light." Wow, this, this would have been totally revolutionary. 
almost scandalous maybe in the eyes of some people, but, but wondrous news certainly to his followers. Jesus is saying here that no longer would a set of rules or rituals or regulations define one's faith. To the contrary, Jesus came so that you and I wouldn't get bogged down by all of these different interpretations. Let me take you back to my seventh grade year. My parents made us go to church. I wasn't real happy about that. I remember I would just pout and I would scream and, and I would cry and I would just be such a pain to my parents because I didn't want to go to church. And I was a pastor at that point too. That's the, the, the sad thing I think about it. And so I didn't like going to church, but I was invited uh, by one of my middle school counterparts to, to take part, to, to come visit the, the church youth group, which met on Sunday evenings. I, I had a good friend named Byron. He sat next to me in Miss McCormick's seventh grade math class. And one day I invited him to, to come to our youth group. I thought maybe we would have fun together, and, and he, he accepted the invitation, and we really had a good time. Now, back then, I'm going to date myself here, okay? The latest trend was to wear one of those plastic blue Atlanta Braves batting helmet. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, let's just go home because this won't make any sense to anybody from this point. Now, everybody was wearing these plastic blue batting helmets of the Atlanta Braves. Uh, those were the days of, of Dale Murphy and, and Bob Horner. Anybody remember those guys? Okay, a handful of you do. And Byron, he loved his batting helmet, and he wore it to youth group that Sunday evening. Now, youth group ran from 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock on Sunday evenings, and afterwards they had a, a fairly informal, a, a fairly, fairly uh, casual worship service. Now, I didn't want to go, and truthfully, I don't know of any youth that wanted to go to that service, but for those who could stick it out, for those who could brave their way through it, for those who sat through this service, you got to go to Dairy Queen after the service was over. In Powder Springs, Georgia, back a million years ago, the Dairy Queen was like the place to be. Now, Byron and I, we certainly wanted to go to Dairy Queen, so we decided, yeah, I guess we don't have any better excuse, so we have to go to our back or our church service. So uh, we, we, we kind of moped our way into uh, this service. It was in a chapel. We, we sat in the very back row where we could pass notes and kind of whisper back and forth, and, and no one would see us. Now, meanwhile, coming through the door, entering this chapel was Mrs. Davis. She must have been a billion years old. Mrs. Davis was kind of one of those people that, that just scared you. She was cantankerous. She seemed bitter, a lot of resentment coming out of her. And we honestly were scared of her. And on this Sunday evening, as she was walking to take her place in the, the pew towards the front, she stopped. She turned around. She looked at me. What did I do? She looked at Byron. She stared at him. And she slowly walked towards him. She reached over and off of Byron's head, she grabbed that Atlanta Braves batting helmet and she loudly proclaimed for all to hear, we don't wear hats in the house of God. Man, everyone was speechless. Byron was embarrassed. He ran out the chapel. He called his mom, and she came and picked him up. 
Myra never went to church again, ever. At the age of 28, he was killed in a horrible car accident. Man, my heart just breaks for him. Byron wasn't violating any, any rules, any scripture. And even if the Bible somewhere did declare that thou shall not wear any Atlanta Braves paraphernalia, Byron wouldn't have known that. How would he have known that? He certainly didn't deliberately try to offend someone or do something that wasn't right. But Mrs. Davis, okay, she had her own views. She had her own interpretations, her own translations of what this good, honorable young man should do. In our encounter with Mrs. Davis, she called out someone whom she thought had violated one of her rules, but by doing so, she was really the one who was being called out by God because of the fact that, that she didn't have that, that, that tenderness or, or that grace or that mercy. She failed to show the compassion that Jesus invites us with to come follow him. Does she have a heart for God? I don't think so. I don't know, I just didn't see any fruit of that, any examples of that, any manifestations of that. And so this is what Jesus is talking about during his interactions with the Pharisees. You've heard me say before that there are two reasons why people aren't Christians. Number one, because they've never met one. And number two, because they have. The Bible shows us that often the, the most difficult people to reach are the religious people. They, they trust in their religion. They, they relish the rituals and their religious translations and viewpoints. And that certainly is what a mean old billion-year-old Mrs. Davis was doing. Because very often they don't see their own need for a savior because they think that they're better than everyone else. They think that they're right with God. Why? Because they do the right things. They say the right things. They avoid the right things. But they don't see their need for a savior because they don't recognize sin in their life. They think they're honoring God with their outward behavior, but they lack that connection with God on a heart level. Here's a quote I want you to, to try to remember. Reality with God, it's not a matter of your outward conformity to religious rituals, but rather it's an obedience that results from God changing your heart. Again, reality with God is not a matter of your outward conformity to religious rituals, but rather it's an obedience that results from God changing your heart. We don't do things so that we will be religious. To the contrary, the fact that, that, that Jesus is alive and well in our lives, the fact that we are pursuing God with a pure heart, uh, that's going to lead to our outward action. That's going to, to, to lead up to the way we do things or the ways in which maybe we don't do things. It was the religious crowd, if you go back to Scripture, that uh, they, they were the people with whom Jesus was, was the most annoyed. It's that religious crowd that eventually would call for the arrest and the death of Jesus. Uh, they were blind to uh, their own sin of, of pride and, and self-righteousness. They, they were blind to the fact that they displayed no mercy or no tenderness or no compassion. If you look throughout the world, the, the way to be right with God and, and every other religion is by earning your way. 
Most religions, they're based on works, not grace. Most religions are based on behavior and not belief. But the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world is that our faith is not based on what we do. It's what Jesus did and what God continues to do. That religion is, is humankind's way of, of reaching up into the heavens in pursuit of God. It's mankind reaching up for God. But a faith in Jesus is about a loving God reaching down to us. Jewish leaders, they couldn't grasp this. And sadly, I've met some people here and now, not here and now, okay, don't take that, but, but people who, who still feel that way, that it's about what we do to reach up to God as opposed to accepting and relishing and honoring and being grateful and thankful for the grace that God pours out on us. Rules and rituals will never save you, but Jesus will. Jesus wants to, and Jesus is extending that invitation to you and to me. Jesus took his disciples on a road trip so that they could come face to face with this stuff. One of the ways in which we seek to, quote, get it is through our interactions through others. Let me take a 15-second you know, pit stop on our road trip this morning. We gather together as the body of Christ to affirm and encourage, to walk with, even to challenge. And a small group in in local churches or small groups in our neighborhood brings about that connection with one another leading up to that connection with God. And and starting this Tuesday from 6.30 to 8, we'll be kicking off a a small group. It'll last six weeks, okay? It's not forever and ever. Um, I'll be leading it, and we're going to walk through the, the powerful parable of the um, prodigal, for lack of a better word, okay? The, the, the life of the prodigal. What does that mean? Because it's fascinating and it's powerful, and I can certainly relate to it from my life. If you'd like to be a part of that, like I said, starting Tuesday, six weeks, then, then just reach into the pew in front of you. You've got those little uh, pads, those connect cards, and just write your name on it and just, you know, just say small group or something as you leave Uh, This morning, there are baskets at at each uh, entry and exit. Just drop it in those baskets, and we'll we'll get that. Friends, God walked the disciples through some really heavy, really powerful, profound stuff. And Jesus wants to do that for you. He wants to do that for me. The Holy Spirit wants us to to go on a road trip with him to, to places where we can see God at work. Jesus wants to take us on a road trip to to places that might stretch our faith. And Jesus wants to take us on a road trip with with people that we may not even know. In some cases, maybe we don't even like. Jesus wants to take us on a road trip to places that are challenging, but they're holy. Jesus wants to take us on a road trip to to places where we may not want to go on our own, but when we do fully trust and surrender our lives to Christ, God will take us to places where we will be enabled, empowered, and equipped to partner with God in changing lives in our community and in our world. And Jesus is extending that same invitation to you and to me this morning. Follow me. I'm going to take you on a road trip that will blow your mind.
A road trip that that isn't pointless or futile. Uh, To the contrary, a road trip that will affect all eternity where lives and marriages and family and parenthood will be changed because of the radical grace of Jesus Christ. Are are we willing to say yes to that? How, How do you experience that call and that claim? And how you will... How will you respond to that? God loves you. You might as well get used to it. And God's got something amazing for each and every one of us. He's extending the invitation. How how will you respond? Will you pray with me? Most gracious and loving God, we so much thank you for leading each of us to this place and this time this morning. Lord God, I pray that we can sense the movement of your Holy Spirit around us and even in us. And Lord, there are many people for whom we want to pray. There are people who are dealing with maybe sickness or disease or illness. Jesus was often referred to as the great physician. And we pray for his healing touch upon those who need it. Lord, there are people here, even this morning, who are struggling emotionally or or mentally, and we ask that you fill them with your peace and your hope. Lord God, there are people who might be struggling in their marriage or or maybe in their relationships with their family or their neighbors or, or maybe others. Lord, may you pour out your comfort upon them. And Lord, you are inviting each of us on a road trip with you in which we allow you to be in control. We surrender to you. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of grace, the gift of mercy, the gift of Christ, the gift of eternal life, and the assurance of your peace and hope in this one. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for first loving us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, normally at this time in our time together, we have you stand and we, we sing a closing song. But this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different, okay? Instead of standing and singing, in just a moment, I'll invite you to, to just bow your head, maybe just close your eyes. And instead of singing, we're, we're going to receive what, what the praise band is doing. We're just going to just meditate silently on, on what maybe God is speaking through them to you. Just a time of reflection, a, a time of prayer as we understand and seek to live out the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The the song, it's a a powerful one. It it speaks of the holy nature of God. You've heard me say before, the word holy means to be set apart. God is set apart because he's like no other, and he wants us to be holy, meaning we're set apart from not only the rest of of our people, but, but also from the ways in which maybe we were before Christ entered our hearts and our lives. The song is a reminder that, uh, that God gives us the freedom to, to build our life on, on whatever we want. You have the, the freedom to, to, to build your life on whatever you desire. But, but the invitation of Jesus is to come follow me, uh, to build your life on something that matters, on something that's eternal, on something that has and will stand the test of time. So will you pray with me? Jesus, help us to process and to understand, to meditate the the powerful words of this beautiful song. 